everyone. Welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chong. Hey everyone, I hope you're well, wherever you are. I've been getting ready for this new semester and sort of in preparation for that, I saw this Netflix show called The Chair, which makes fun of academia and all the ridiculous people living in their own bubble. Obviously, there are many parts made for dramatic effect, and I think it was trying to tackle way too many subjects in way too little time. And along with being produced by the same people from Game of Thrones, it kind of gave me some pause. But there are a few nice moments that also made me laugh. And along with Sandra Oh's great performance, um, I'm not sure that's a strong recommendation or not to see it, but check it out if you have some time, I guess. Anyway, for this week, I am returning back to the Las Vegas community that I found through the Rogers Art Loft residency. And I'm speaking with the amazing Vogue Robinson, a poet, author, mentor, and teaching artist. Originally from Paris, California, Vogue got her BA in English at San Diego State University before landing in Las Vegas. Vogue was a poet laureate of Clark County, Nevada from 2017 to 2019, and is the first black woman to receive the Silver Pen Award from the Nevada Writers Hall of Fame. Vogue has an infectious laugh, and it was a great joy to talk with her. We discuss what a poet laureate does, the croaking of frogs, Pringles, Nikki Giovanni, and so much more. As I was listening to the recording, I realized I had a really lethargic voice that day, more lethargic than normal at least, and I apologize for that. I hope you can bear with it. I think Vogue brings the energy levels up every time she speaks, and I can't wait to visit her in Las Vegas in the near future. As always, stay safe and healthy, and enjoy the show. Good. I did laundry like a grown up. I washed it and I dried it and I folded it. It's in the basket. It's not in the drawers yet. And then I got my hair cut and I hung out with my husband and I made some tuna. So I feel very balanced yeah. trying to, you know, eat good things for my body, get my omega whatever's. <laughs> Whatever's in fish. <laughs> Make sure you keep out the mercury. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> I don't know if that's on the list of necessities. <laughs> yeah. How did you eat the tuna? Was it a tuna melt, a sandwich, tuna by itself? Well, we have, so Trisket makes like a cracker that's like a, it's like shredded wheat. So it's okay. a triangle and it's okay. like shredded wheat is the genetic makeup of it, but it's yeah, in yeah, the yeah. shape of a triangle. Like, so it's, yeah, yeah. it's just, but it's thin like a chip. So those are pretty bomb. Um, but yeah, my mom used to make tuna with like mayonnaise, mustard, boiled eggs and mm. salt pepper and then red onion. And I used mm. to not like red onion because red onion is like pungent and strong and comes from your mouth. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. as I've gotten older, I've come to really appreciate the red onion and yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, its acidity and intensity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're together now. <laughs> so the red onion is like and the it has a crunch. Right. You need it. You yeah, need yeah, it. So yeah, it's not, yeah. you're not eating mush. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I just did that with the crackers and it was pretty nice. Cool. I like adding also celery and some red peppers to it. Oh, see, you go full crunch. You're like, I need texture. Yeah, yeah. I, during COVID, I actually was stuck in the US with my parents 
Um, so I was living at home and, uh, yeah, I made a lot of tuna sandwiches. I think there was like a tuna can shortage. I heard everyone was stocking oh up on uh, right. tuna flour, what else? Everything was toilet paper, right? The basics, right? The yeah, everyday yeah. foods. Cause it's like, you know, how can I still get some good nutrients, but not have to worry about running out of it? Yeah. Tuna became, well, yeah. tuna was always a staple, but it's a little better than spam, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I read this funny, uh, article. It was like... Subway was being sued because someone claimed that Subway's tuna wasn't real tuna. It was sort of like a, and then I sort of like went into this nosedive of like the rabbit tuna. hole. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a ridiculous article. <laughs> I'm curious now. Cause I mean, you know, you have artificial crab, like, you know, Americanized like sushi where it's like, okay, California roll. And we have Pringles. stop. But yeah, like Pringles are like smushed together potatoes. Like they grind them and purify them and then put them in the little molds. Low key, yeah. Is a Pringle really a chip? Well, a few years ago, I think what the UK or there was a big deal. They actually determined that it was not a potato chip. It's not a chip. Only the 40% potatoes. And so it it kind of put itself into like a different tax bracket and Pringles is not a chip. Big deal. It's not a, not a potato chip. Poor Pringles. <laughs> now that's, that's like worthy of a poem, like Pringles having a, what's the word? Identity crisis. Sy- yes. Imposter <laughs> syndrome and identity crisis of the Pringle. Am I a chip? Yeah. I don't know what I am, you know, but like it comes to a crescendo at like, you know what? It doesn't matter what you call me. <laughs> as long as you don't stop, <laughs> that would be the long yeah. The Pringles. I know. That's your next poem, right? That's the next poem. <laughs> that's what that's what I've been reduced to. Pringles poems. <laughs> I'm not above it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, like, can you talk a little bit about like, you know, where you grew up and how how poetry has sort of entered your life? Sure. So yeah, my grandmother was a teacher and so I grew up in Paris, which is in Riverside County of California. Paris, California. Okay, I know about Paris, Texas. Right. New. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't even spell it like that. It's P E R R I S. It's pretty. It's uh, it's not fancy schmancy. It's not. So, <laughs> it's so it's funny. the opposite. <laughs> Is it southern, southern, northern, central? It is Inland Empire. So it's the middle of Cali. Like you drive okay. through it and then and yeah. then you're like, oh, I'm in San Diego. Yay. Like it's an hour from San Diego. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it was and it worked out well because I ended up going to college in San Diego and I, I didn't want to be too far from home. Mm-hmm. But um, I grew up around a lot of books. My grandmother, because she was a teacher and it was, I don't we had four or five different types of encyclopedias. Mm-hmm. There were like seven different dictionaries. She was not about spelling words for me. It was like, go get the dictionary and figure it out That's yourself. Good. That's good. Nah, man, when you just want to hurry up and spell the word, it's annoying. <laughs> It turned you into a, a word nerd, yeah, yeah. but um, it was annoying. You know, you figure out how to spell things, how weird uh, and language English is, because English is it's a stupid language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, sorry, I love, I love it, but I hate it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my... Uh, That's why we have a spelling bee, right? Right. I did those. Uh, it was you like did? second place. Yeah, I was yeah? second place for that uh-huh. in like second grade. I think I was second place. And then in sixth uh-huh. grade, I was like fourth place. But it was uh-huh. because I didn't understand the way somebody said it was like fleck. And it sounded like flet. And I was like, maybe they mean filet and they just don't know how to say filet. And so I spelled flet, which is not a word. I don't think. I'm mad. I still remember. This is how you know I'm holding a grudge. That's your next poem, flet. I should have asked for a definition, but I didn't. I was just like, I am going to just guess what this person is saying. If I would have asked for the definition, then I would have said, you know, 
a speck of dust. Uh, and yeah, then I would have yeah. been like, oh, fleck. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hit the CK, player. Hit the CK, hit the sound. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely poetry came through um, also kind of laziness. <laughs> like there was, you could read this huge book or you could read this collection of poems mm-hmm. that's smaller, that still packs a punch and it's less words, which means I'm be done faster. And I still read a lot, but I just, I like the concise, like the, mm-hmm. the way that poems made information more concise. And the trajectory of words and that you could connect one thing to another thing to another thing and that things could be built on with a tangent. And, you know, you can build, you know, a metaphor like you build Tetris, like when you get to a good place Mm. with your poem and you've kind of turned this word around, like my friend has a poem and she says, you know, we could steal ourselves away, but it's S-T-E-E-L. And it's like, oh, you could harden yourselves and make yourselves mm, firm. Mm, right, you right, could right. make yourselves armored. We could steal ourselves. Yeah, and it's like, ah, yeah. oh, yes, yeah. English, stupid language that does cool things. <laughs> uh, so I really loved that. And um, I think I had a hard time feeling understood as a kid, too. And so a metaphor or a simile was just Really, I kicked butt at analogies too, but just that I could explain (laughs) something in terms of something else to give someone a better picture of it. And so it's like, oh, you know, cats are the dogs as, you know, such and such is the such and such, but just to always see the connections to things. So in that way, that's probably why Erica, you you were saying like Erica always seems like she's she's thinking it's probably because in her mind she's making connections to different things. And so you said you were reading poetry because you're lazy because it was shorter. Yes. Does that mean you're required to read a certain number of books each summer or something? Did you have that? Yes. Uh, my grandma had us reading lots of books. Like we were reread all the time. Uh, and it was, uh, some of it was, you know, I could get a pizza party out of it. And so that was, that made it worth a it. Pizza, wait, a pizza party? She brought you pizza yeah. parties? <laughs> yes. You got to do it. That's the whole point. So yeah, poems and pizza, obviously put them together. But yeah, you could do that. We had a summer where it was, we just needed to do writing and do writing consistently during the summer. And it was like, you know, well, you can read these books and write about these books. You can read these poems and write something to match these poems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I wrote a bunch of like spring cleaning poems. I wrote summer poems. I wrote poems about ice cream. Mm -hmm. And it just felt less structured and constraining. And I ended up actually, like, I really love essay writing too, but I love an essay for its structure. And I love poetry because it doesn't require it. Mm -hmm. You can create and provide structure in your work but it's not as necessary. Right, right. And 12th grade, I Jeff Strebe was our English teacher, our AP English teacher. And he was always in cowboy attire. Like he had his cowboy hat. Right, this is in San Diego? This is in Paris still. So this is my 12th, oh. grade, 12th grade, so end of high school. Okay. Bushy mustache, <laughs> this white, like, button-up white jean shirt thing. Mm-hmm. There was always a pack of cigarettes in this upper pocket, like upper left pocket was always a pack of cigarettes. And we were like, Mr. Streeby, you need to quit smoking. This is the era of dare for us. So it was like, you know, there's multiple things telling you say no to drugs, don't smoke. And Mm -hmm. there's carcinogens and tar going in. Have you seen that lady Debbie? (laughs) Mr. Streeby, stop smoking. (laughs) Uh, And then in his jeans and then boots with spurs. But this is the man who handed me Nikki Giovanni, um, who's a black poet. And it was probably the first time I saw somebody really, I felt like right outside the lines and uh, her work was really conversational and it didn't all rhyme and it told stories and it told simple stories about her family. And I was like, oh, this is an entirely different ball game that you can take what you know about the structure of a story 
and have, you know, the beginning, the middle, the end, your rising action, your climax, but you can fit it all into a poem Mm. in a different way. And she was really shameless about her ethnicity and her background, you know, with a lot of writers and visual artists, you know, you don't always get to see what people look like. People are, are, a lot of artists are introverts and they don't want to be seen. But what happens is, and there's a lack of visibility. And so you think, oh, I'm not sure, you know, how many Black writers, you know, have I read? How many Black visual artists, you know, have I studied? And Mm -hmm. it was a really like cool eye opener. I don't know if he handed me Nikki Giovanni because I was Black or he handed me Nikki Giovanni because he liked her work because he handed me (laughs) a lot of different poets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like to think it was because he figured I would appreciate her work. But, you know, it was a cool eye opener and it definitely changed what I thought a poem was. Do you remember the name of that poem? Or was it was it was a collection or it was three. So it was Nikki Rosa. And there's one that's about like making lemonade. And there's a line in it that's just like, you know, I really would prefer that white people keep my name out of their mouths. And I was like, oh, my God, Wait, that was the line. Like, that's not that's not exactly it. Okay. I would have to Google it to find it. But it was yeah. her point was, you know, someone one day will retell my story yeah. and yeah, someone one yeah. day will say that I grew up black. And I grew up Mm. poor. And so she's like, you know, people will make sure that they mention all these things about how I grew up, but they won't mention that we were happy, that Mm. we always had food on the table and that we didn't have much, but we were all still loved. Someone will tell my story incorrectly. And so I would Mm. prefer that no one else gets to tell my story in their perspective because they're not going to tell it right. So just don't tell it. Keep my name out your mouth. <laughs> it was kind of just, and it was really, it's a really calm poem, I feel. Yeah. But it was very much like, I want to tell my own story and I don't yeah. want it to be through the lens of someone who says, oh, that poor Black child who grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee in poverty. Poor, poor child. She didn't want that. And that was the, the point of the piece. Yeah, that's beautiful. I don't know that poem. I've been sort of, uh, I'm sort of like a late into poetry welcome i mean like i think two years ago i signed up for a poem a day so i I read like a random poem every day and that has been sort of my entry into sort of thinking about introduction into into yeah and and you know reading poems and thinking about the sort of the structure and lack of structure and i've sort of been more appreciative of it as sort of supplement to also thinking about art in the same way that art kind of you know it has a structure but it's also constantly trying to tear down the structure right and i think that's why a lot of artists are so drawn to poetry right and also like the ambiguity of it like i think also met a poet and she's like she was saying she's always annoyed when someone's like can you explain poetry to me because i don't get it and then she's like you know i'm in school and i still don't get it either so it's okay (laughs) I think it it depends on the writer. Like, and that's the thing too, is like, you can bring your full self to a piece. So when I teach, I tell people, you know, if you speak more than one language, then throw autumn languages in there. Um, So I have a, I have poems that are going up right now because I I got to curate poems for the downtown Summerlin mall. So on all the directories, there will be poems. So like when it goes like, really, that's, that's great. (laughs) Thanks. So yeah, if you go up to the directory, like if you touch it, it's going to take you to the map boring but if you leave it alone then a poem will pop up uh-huh. but the last two poets i have they they both are, are bilingual at least bilingual uh-huh. but yeah. one said you know does it have to be all in english or can it be in spanglish and i was like uh spanglish <laughs> all day i think that's representative of american culture yeah, yeah. you know i know that that is also how this person thinks too they think in both languages and there's some things we can't say in english mm-hmm. that we can say in Spanish yeah. that we can say in Korean, like there's different words that just don't exist. I think my friend was trying to explain to me, like 
was like brotherhood or family, but it's something different in Korean, but there's a word for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, like, there's yeah, no yeah. word. There's no word in English. And I'm like, well, then use your word. You know, it makes room for it. And sometimes poets are really kind and they put the little footnotes at the bottom to tell you yeah. what the word means. But I'm an advocate for showing up fully in your work. And instead of worrying about hiding or who, oh, who's going to understand this? Well, if they don't get it, then they can use Google. It's a magical thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the people that it's for, the people who get it, then amen, because then you've created kind of this community around right. this understanding. And so, yeah, I always encourage let, let people be bilingual in their work, let them be multilingual in their work, because it shows the depths and the richness of their heritage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, and also what you're talking about, I think the world is slowly catching up, but in the sense that I think it used to be that, you know, you assumed a sort of similar homogeneous audience, right? That, and then, of course, that, that audience being a Western audience, right? And right. I think this need to try for everyone to understand it, you know, everyone being white people, but I think there's this push as, like you said, certain languages, certain cultures don't have a, have an equivalent translation. And, you know, you end up having to dilute all these different meanings to have it somewhat being understood. And so, um, and then with the internet and also like as this acceptance of the world becoming more and more complex, this sort of embrace of the difference, the embrace of the fact that you don't need to have everyone understand being so important. And also there's also the argument that everyone has understood white perspective and so you know it's not that hard to just try to work your brain a little bit to kind of shift just adjust just just, turn, just, yeah. just tilt it tilt it this away flip it upside yeah. down and shut up and listen and it works i think too that's the biggest thing about thinking about like the canon even yeah. i'm really grateful there are so many mfa programs where you go on and get the masters and it's a it's a what is the word it's not temporary <laughs> <laughs> terminal there it is Term, uh, terminal, terminal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah i was like i was gonna work i was going through my dictionary in my head i was like temp m no no terminal yeah yeah so to get to ours so terminal degree but so many of them have a translation component it's like super mm. important for most mfa programs to include that i know the mfa at, at um, unlv actually will send you abroad so you can go mm. study abroad, sit up underneath other poets who write and speak in different languages and try to understand it. And then you're sitting there with their manuscript and, you know, 17 dictionaries and, you know, 15 people who care. <laughs> you're like, can you give me a word yeah, for yeah, this yeah. equivalency? Is there a word for this? Is there a phrase for this? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So like, it's pretty common because your job is to paint pictures with words. Your job is to right. stretch language to its furthest extent or right. boil it down to its simplest and have that stand on it. And so I love that, that that's one major component of most MFA programs is mm. you got to go translate something. You you think you don't understand poetry now? Wait till we send you somewhere where, where people are not writing in English yeah. and let's see what happens where English is not the primary language. And see how it changes your perspective but even where you live can do that so mm -hmm. you know like so where you live at right now you know what's the nearest body of water to where you are uh i'm like maybe 100 meters or feet away from the ocean right now okay so you're <laughs> from the ocean okay what's the normal sound you hear at night like three sounds you hear at night hmm. i hear the wind i'm actually in like a high rise i'm on the 39th floor oh my god so a lot of wind and then I'm in a subtropical environment, so I hear um, some frogs that are really... I've never actually seen them, actually, so I don't know what they look like, but there are frogs that litter around my entire uh, living area that are just croaking 
nonstop, especially after mm-hmm. rain and during the night. Mm-hmm. I'm near the high, not the highway, but the road. So I hear every now and then cars kind of go, but I'm high enough that it's not constant and there's not trap. There's not too much traffic outside. So yeah, that's like a whole poem you just did. <laughs> I was like, I'm sitting here taking notes, but so that idea of being on the 39th floor, but still being able to hear what's happening on the ground. Yeah, yeah. that. The frogs croak constantly, especially after rain. That's a poem. Like we're done here. (laughs) And it's a moment in your life. You know, one day you're not going to live in that same, you know, that 39th floor space. But even if you wrote a poem that compared the sounds you hear in this apartment versus what you heard when you were home with your parents, just describing the sounds invite people into your world and your life and your perspective. Like there are, I have, I haven't heard a frog in years. Really? <laughs> I've well, been to Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> it's not friendly like, to frogs. Oh, <laughs> right. I was like, oh, frogs. I remember them. Ribbit or whatever. Like that yeah, group yeah. around tadpoles. Like, cause in California we had like this pond that only formed in our backyard after rain. So it would rain and then boom, this pond would pop up and it yeah. would exist for like three to four months and then tadpoles would happen. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I learned about that transformation that you go from like being this little mm-hmm. egg Tadpole. to this little sperm looking yeah. thing. Yeah. And then you have legs, but your face is weird. <laughs> and amphibians live both in the water and on the ground. And the idea of even that animal, nature is the best metaphor, but how we grow how we change, what it took to get your legs. Can you live out of water and in water? And what is that a metaphor for? You know, is that home versus, you know, moving away for college? Are you this frog out of water (laughs) trying to bounce around the world? And it doesn't even have to be like, uh, but location also is important in the sense of like also different dialects, different rep frames or references, right? Y'all, yins. Yeah, y'all, yins, um, all those different variants and, Luckily for now, at least the U.S. is such a young country that all these nuances haven't developed to the point where they're distinct enough. But, you know, people still have trouble understanding each other at different locations, right? And so Boston to, and like, New Orleans are yep. those two places where you're like, wait a minute, I have to listen slower <laughs> to understand this. Because we'd clown, we'd, oh, because my friend would went there to New Orleans for a while and they, oh, there, like, and that was like the... <laughs> Over and there, we're not separated. And I'm, you know, I have a California, like, yeah, yeah. I really enunciate the crap out of my words. Also, like, spelling bee kid, also yeah, performer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, you, I try to enunciate, but lately I haven't been doing it as well. Yeah. Like, I tried to say tell the other day out of poem, and I was trying to say tell, and I said tell. And I was mm. like, well, it's already out of my mouth now. Whatever. <laughs> read <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Find the poem and read it. Is tail now, and I don't. Yeah, I don't know what happened, but I, I spoke. <laughs> I spoke differently pre-pandemic, but now yeah. uh, words don't work good like they used to. Yeah, but it's okay. But yeah, I like that. You know that you can find me. Yeah, I mean that's the beauty of language. Yeah, the purpose of language, the purpose of communication, is to find meaning. So it's yeah. layered and intricate. But your gestures and your facial expressions also add to the way that you communicate with others. And so hence, like moving from writing my work and seeing how it was on the page to then somebody being like, oh, well, why don't you come up to the mic? I was like, you're crazy. I'm not going to go and read poems in front are you, of people. Are you, are, you, are you scared? You do, you do stand poetry. Oh, I do. I do. It still like freaks me out. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's still a weird, weird thing. Cause it, and when I remember when I started and it was my sophomore year of college, it was very nerve wracking. And I made the poet who hosted the event. I was like, you have to stand up on stage with me while I read this poem. If you want me to read this in the streets. Did they? Yeah. <laughs> so he stood up beside me and like we locked elbows and then I had one hand and I fold my paper like hot dog style is what we call oh, yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> My pages are typically, I'll type them and then I'll put them into two columns uh-huh. because if you've got a paper in hand like this, then if you're scared, then this is the noise. Right, right, if right. If you fold right, right. this bad boy in a thin half, mm. so much, there's less shape. Yeah. So you look less I see, I see. scared. <laughs> there's less sound effects to your reading of your poem. Yeah. So that was always my hack for reading my work and not looking so nervous. And also you can make the font bigger so you can see yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah, if yeah. you're reading the work, but you want to make eye contact with the audience, the larger the font, the easier it is to read it, look up, read it. Yeah, yeah, look yeah, up. Yeah, but if it's yeah, tiny, yeah. you're like, I'm yeah, too old yeah. for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, performance is a different thing and it, it gives you more space to communicate more of what you mean by your piece and allows you to insert silence in a cool way too because you can yeah. line break all you want but it's not the same as blah blah blah, blah right right and then bringing it back in like right, what right. you can do with silence is something completely different. silence silence is a form of like playing with time and the passing of time yeah i mean and you were talking about how your first slam poetry or, or or reading i guess happened while mm-hmm. you were in college and so like in college you gotta be in english and were you writing Fiction, essay, poems, all of the above. Uh, what was going on with that? Yeah, I was writing everything. <laughs> I had switched my major from math. I started as a math major. Math? Yeah. I explained things well. Like I, I wasn't great at it, but I was good at it. And yeah. once I got something, I could explain it to someone else. And so I was like, struggle is my strength. And then we got to do like discrete mathematics and struggle was just struggle. And my Filipino counselor was like, Bo, do you want to get another degree? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you need to stop getting F's. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> he's like, what are you getting A's in? <laughs> and he looked down my transcript yeah. and was like, you have three A's in philosophy, 110. What is this class? What is it? I go, it's a writing class. It's like theories and stuff. I had to write essays. He's like, okay, so you write essays. Well, I was like, yeah, that's how you get scholarship money. I've been writing for money my whole life. <laughs> he's like, yeah, so change your major. So I changed my major from math over to English. So I was reading Shakespeare and I was writing essays on feminist theory. <laughs> I had some other class. I was, oh, 15th century. I don't know. We were reading Shelley, uh-huh. the joys of, of Percy Shelley and all of those things. And then, but I was going out to open mic nights because my best friend who's from San Jose, California, she was into mm-hmm. poetry when she was uh, in high school. And she was like, I found an open mic night. I was like, Nicole, I'm not going. And she was like, come on. I was like, all right, fine. So she dragged me there. And of course now, you know, she works in student affairs. She lives in DC. She's not writing poems anymore. And you are. I'm the one still writing poems. This is like my life's work, my career, what I teach, what I perform, what I share, what I get interviewed about. And Mm. so, you know, I still send her work when I've just finished it in my phone. In her phone, I'm listed as Vogue, the Poet Laureate slash Bestie. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a lot of pomp and circumstance in Nicole's phone. Which is nice. Through that, through Nicole kind of dragging me to an open mic night, it made me be more interested in sharing my work aloud. And you get instant feedback. So it's kind of the difference between theater and a film in that right, way. Right, 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 um, right. You know, if you've got a whole audience of people you and you're, you know, the director and the writer, if they're all in the room, just sitting in the back, usually in some corner, you know, you just listen to the audience, pick up on the cues and 
you see the people handle the lighting the way you told them to close the curtain (laughs) you get to see all of it and you hear the audience's response with with poetry on the page you know someone takes your book home and they read it and they interact with it in their own way maybe they make notes I'm a note taker I was putting notes in my friend Susie's book today but I was like this is the line I like and underlining (laughs) different things about the poem Right, I right. enjoy it, but she's never going to see this, you know, unless I take a picture and tell her I took notes on your poems. Yeah, yeah. But in person, she knows what my responses are because I'm like, you know, 17 snaps. I'm like, uh, say yeah. that. And it's so much more interactive and alive. And it's an adrenaline rush, too, you know, because yeah, yeah. there's something different when you read your work aloud, you know, and yeah, yeah. for your for your podcast. Like, did you write like a mission statement for your podcast? I did. Yes, I did. OK, do you have it? Can we hear it? <laughs> I was like, bust that out. Let me pull it out. Yeah. I guess when I whenever I do things, I'm trying to think, except for my art, I think I tend to approach things quite what's the word i try to prepare a lot of things so i was actually quite nervous the first time i decided to actually do a podcast so did a lot of preparation i made a website i thought a lot about the title of it right the seeing color right because even that title is actually pretty cool so anyway the mission statement i i came up with uh seeing color came from a desire to broaden the scope of art discussions from a perspective that art cannot always be distinct from the race of its author from wanting for a critical analysis aware of and critical towards the white canon and for a wish that my younger self could have heard and learned from these conversations and mm-hmm. for a hope that such an exploration may lead to a path forward through a sea of whiteness. So that was the thing that I came up with. Look at your face. Okay. So I feel like you looked at it like it was almost unfamiliar. How did it feel to read it? Uh, I mean, it felt good. I mean, it's sort of like, it's strange for you to hear it and for me to say it because I wrote it two years ago. So it's sort of like this thing that now is this weird mission statement. But like, as you know, you know, when you have these projects are constantly happening and changing. And I think of of all those different reasons that are part of the mission statement, I think the one that for me is still the most important is having these discussions for my younger self, right? Like wishing that I could have heard these things as an undergrad and also as a grad student and thinking about the creative field, not from this sort of white perspective and then wishing that I could have also been exposed to, you know, more people exposed to more voices and not sort of putting on a pedestal all these different people that the institution and that the academy sort of places on pedestal, you know? Yeah. To find people who are in in the margins are who this obscure artist. I have a friend who's studying, she studied Basho. Basho is not really obscure though, but Basho is like a haiku poet. Like most of their work is, I believe their work is in Chinese, but I have to Google it because haiku is too tiny for me. Haiku stresses me out. I'm like, I need more words. (laughs) Need more words. I'm getting better at writing up more like tinier poems or rather, you know, being more, even getting even more concise with my work. But Usually I'm, I'm on a spree. I got like 17 things I want to explain in one poem because everything is connected. So I'm just like, this is connected to this, it's connected to that, it's connected to this. So that's, you know, like 10 lines, which is not three. (laughs) But, you know, finding writers who, you know, maybe they passed away early and that's Mm -hmm. why their work wasn't critically acclaimed, you know, as a result of racism, some people's work just wasn't allowed to really flood and be present in the mainstream, depending on, you know, whoever, who America was at war with, who America decided was threatening the superpower that we are. Uh, like, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they're threatening us. Yeah, sure thing, yeah. bro. <laughs> cool story, bro. <laughs> 
whatever. All those communists, all those socialists. Right, they're coming to destroy this country. So it's those sorts of things. And even with Black people in particular, not being allowed to read and write until Mm -hmm. years down the line and having more of an oral tradition, which means if someone passes away, but they haven't passed the story on, the story dies with them. And so when you have limited access to education or the capacity to write in a way that is acceptable and deemed worthy of being, not necessarily put in a canon, but worthy of being archived, then the work is lost. And I definitely think it doesn't make sense. Like when I think about what what we teach people and what we show them of what is beautiful and what is art and what makes art amazing. Right, right. It's like give people a larger view. Literally take them and let them see all the colors. Like what if we only taught people monogrammatic work? You know, we only taught ABAB rhyme scheme, you know, and you mm-hmm. never open it up to anything else. Like this is the only thing that counts. This this Pringle is not a chip. <laughs> you know, like what if somebody would have banned? I know we're, I brought it back full circle. <laughs> what if, you know, you never had Pringles because someone said, well, they're not technically chips, but it's like, well, they fit comfortably <laughs> into a lunchbox. It has the same foundation, which is potato. And it comes in a lot of variety. It comes in multiple varieties and has its own slogan, has the crunch. So like it has multiple elements that and make it And it doesn't grease Pringle. up your hands so you can... Right. <laughs> move on with the rest of your day child so like it gets the job done as a chip Mm -hmm. even though it's not the conventional way of like it wasn't you know just sliced from a potato but like give sprinkles there too give put some put some respect on pringles put some respect on them because you know someone decided to revolutionize or break like we were talking about boundaries and like changing and rearranging what we call something and still making space for it so like you know i'll be a pringle whatever yeah. <laughs> i think you just wrote a poem right there i did i think we found the we found the heart of the pringle poem which is fuck your standards fuck your standards still a chip <laughs> that's the moral of the story that's their new slogan i think you should yes. uh, copyright that and- <laughs> i'm gonna send them a letter and be like me and one came up with yeah <laughs> <laughs> As I take notes, fuck your standards. <laughs> so, okay. Um, what other types of art do you do? Like, do you watercolor? Are you mixed media? I do mostly videos. Okay, so videos yeah. is your game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it came from a painting background and then I started moving to sculpture. And then video has sort of been my, the format that I feel I can do the most with for what I want to do. I do sometimes do like um, installations and sculptures that accompany the video. I think, you know, as this podcast has shown, I enjoy talking to people and I enjoy the sort of storytelling and learning about background and conceptual framework that someone kind of exists in the world. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. kind of going back to, you know, the mission statement of this podcast, you know, thinking about, you know, the author cannot be separated from the work of art, right? And so Mm. because of that, I think film and video allow me to tell that story, right? Like, yeah, you can have a narrative painting, you can have a narrative sculpture, but like the time-basedness of the video fully embraces the narrative in a way that I think is not obscuring the fact it's a narrative. So that's sort of what I do. And, you know, as I was saying earlier, when I do a lot of things in life, I do a lot of preparation. But for the video, I think the video kind of works differently in the sense that usually I film first and then find what the story is after. So Mm. actually, it's a sort of reversal of preparation. And I don't exactly know what I'm doing as I'm making the video. Yes. (laughs) That's the artist t-shirt. I don't know what I'm doing, but it looks good. <laughs> yeah. Fig- figuring out as I go along. I love that though. With writing, it's stream of consciousness where you 
wake up and you have one idea and you just follow it. And I think with, you know, even people who are writing novels, they'll write, they'll have the the plans for the characters. You know, you've got to have uh, a lot of people do like character studies where it's like one yeah, yeah, page yeah. and it's like this character's favorite food, yeah. you know, the thing they like to do after school, what's their motivation, what's in their way. You kind of have these one sheets for all your characters. So, you know, kind of what they're about. But as you have them interact with each other, it, you know, if, if anything, it's, it's the, the chemistry, but also interacting creates the change for the characters. And so after a while, you might not know how your story's going to end until you get to the end. Yeah, you, yeah, know, yeah. you end up seeing all the pieces and you're like, oh, I think that that's his mom <laughs> and his dad has been lying this whole time. Oh, snap. Luke, I am your father. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. That's exactly what George Lucas was thinking, right? <laughs> like, I bet you, I wonder, you know, I'll have to watch the documentary to find out, but I wonder if he knew from the beginning that Darth Vader was going to be the father or if he was going to decide on it later on down the way since the episodes aren't in order. Maybe we're you know, giving were... him too much credit, though, because he also made Jar Jar Binks, right? Well, bless his whole little heart, you know, <laughs> sprinkle some blessings. So, you know, he's, he, there are many a thing, you know, where you have a, a, a world of aliens and, but like, there's like four black people. Yeah, where yeah. are we at? It's stupid. Yeah. Like, it's just stupid. His wife is black too, which makes it even more annoying. Wait, what? I did not know that. Oh, last time I checked, George Lucas' wife is black. So it's, <laughs> it's stupider that you're just like, where? Why didn't you put black people in this dance? I need a whole plant. If you can have a planet with blue milk, and whatever job of the hut is this slug <laughs> slug creature and he's in charge of the mob and the mafia get it together bro but either way he's not the only creator like that's what yeah. is like there are other creatives that can do and create mm. sci-fi that is inclusive while being fantastical and so i welcome those stories because there's room for them still yeah but yeah i think about yeah the idea of not knowing where you're going but knowing what piques your interest so when I talk yeah. to writers about their poems, I'm like, well, what was the spark? And then, okay, what turned that spark into a flame? And then how did this poem become a wildfire on your page? How did you get to the point where you're, oh, I'm three pages deep into this work? Right. It came from somewhere. Like sometimes we forget what the spark was. And so I love the idea of like video helping us come back to it, mm -hmm. showing us time. Because the cool thing about video is how you can show how time elapses and like right, right. speed it up or slow it down right, right, or go in reverse. Right. Absolutely. You know, I think of like uh, sort of any time-based work is sort of like this train moving forward, right? You're stuck on the train and you can't really see what's going forward and you can't revisit the places you've kind of passed, but you're aware of the fact that they have happened, right? And you're stuck mm. in the moment that the train is going from one destination to the other. But yeah. So how long have you been in Vegas? What brought you from Paris, California? You went mm -hmm. to San Diego and then from San Diego, what brought you to Vegas? My sister was here. Oh, okay. Uh, my sister was, yeah, my TT life. <laughs> my life is not. <laughs> mm. <laughs> we were laughing about my hair. I was like, yes, my aunt, my hair has given me full aunt swag. Where I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah somebody's yeah. auntie. But uh, my sister was uh, moved here. She had already had work. She worked in the casino in California mm -hmm. and wanted to change because she grew up in Paris and pretty much lived in Paris straight through all of our childhood. Like I moved to LA for a little while and somewhere else and somewhere else. Where'd you live in LA? Oh God. Technically jungles. I was like, <laughs> so it's kind of behind the Crenshaw mall. So. Oh, oh okay. A, yeah. 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 It's like, it's very, uh, it's, it's adjacent of all the hills, but yeah, it's pretty. So yeah, I lived there for a couple of years with my mom and then I moved back in with my grandma and somewhere in between that I was in foster care. So 
I did a lot of moving my high school years and then ended up full circle back with my grandmother. And so I ended up graduating from Paris High School. Um, my sister just lived with my grandma for an entire life on the same wow. property. And then when she moved, she moved 15 minutes away from grandma and was still in California, but in Lake Elsinore, which is still basically Paris. <laughs> so when she wanted a change of scenery, she uh, finding a casino job was easy to do here in Vegas, obviously. And she met a guy that she really liked and she was like, oh, I'm pregnant. And I was like, well, nobody told you to do that. Um, she's like, well, I'm going to go move so I can live in the same city as, as, you know, as Sam, as this, you know, the guy that I really love. And I'm like, but it's hot there and you don't know anybody. And she was like, okay, but the father of my child is there and I'm going to raise my child with him. And I was like, okay, what am I going to (laughs) do? And uh, I wasn't doing anything specific in San Diego. I was finished with school and kind of, you know, plastic bag. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just kind of floating in the air yeah oh. and I said well you know I want to be near oh, my sister and I want to meet my nieces I want to make sure that they know who I am and that I'm not a stranger and that their growth is not a surprise to me I didn't want it to be oh you're so big and pinch yeah, her cheeks yeah. I really wanted to be present to say oh yeah I know you grew I bought you some shoes because I knew you were already outgoing them shoes I saw you in last week and uh it's the first decision I made that wasn't about like societal pressure of my status and yeah, yeah what I should be doing with, you know, you have a bachelor's degree and teaching credential and you should be doing larger things. I, I wasn't thinking about a career choice. It was just, how do I make sure my life is full? And mm-hmm. I know that many people that I know who are older than me, my elders all said, you know, the only thing that they really wished for was to be closer to family, mm-hmm. that living near family and having a support system nearby was important to them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't get it. But let's try because <laughs> my sister is six years older than me. So, yeah. you know, we really just started being friends when I was like 21, 22. Then she yeah. decided that I wasn't annoying. Yeah. Siblings are interesting. Yeah. Do you have siblings? The same way. I've, I have a brother and sister and it's taken me some time. Yeah. I think as I was younger, I was like a moody kid and I was the eldest and I ah. don't think I thought of them as equals, you know, and as we all get older, I think we've all sort of smoothed out those edges. It's hard being eldest, though, I'm sure. <laughs> it's a different kind of pressure. It is, yeah. And then, so when did you move to Vegas then? Was it a while ago? Um, 2013. So seven years. I've been here seven oh, years. Oh, wow. Wow. Eight years? It's eight. Yeah. It's like it's 2021. I don't know what year it is. Help. Yeah, so it's been eight years of living here. Moved here in like March of 2013. Went to every open mic I could find. I had finished my first book. And I was working at UNLV, well, through UNLV as a tutor at one of the, like a performing arts uh, mm-hmm. middle school. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, I was hanging out with artsy fartsy kids mm-hmm. and tutoring them in math. Like, you guys got to know how to do math. I think it matters. Come on, guys. We're going to try. Just balance out the equation. Just plus six, minus six. Yeah, yeah. Hop the fence. I was like describing yeah, yeah. equations and being like, okay, look, this plus six has to hop the fence <laughs> to be negative six. Because that's what I think of. That's what, I just see an equal sign as a fence. Hop it. Yeah, you got to yeah, yeah. move your body. <laughs> yeah. So I did that. And that was probably two years, I think, I worked that job and was just poeting everywhere that I possibly could. And at a certain point, you know, just more opportunities opened up and I was able to work in other classrooms actually teaching poetry or mm-hmm. giving poetry performances. And then the city, well, the county created a poet laureate position. And so I got to be, I applied and became poet laureate for the county. And so I served that as that in that role for two years. Yeah. I mean, I saw that. And so I was going to ask you, what does that mean though, to be a poet laureate? Actually, I have no idea what that means. 
That's hilarious. See, and that's the thing about it. It's super prestigious, but like either people cannot pronounce it or they're really impressed by it. It's it's one or the other. No one's yeah, ever yeah. in the middle. So it is, you are essentially the ambassador for poetry in your community. And so sometimes there's poets of certain states. Sometimes it's cities. Uh, for myself, it was that whole freaking county because Nevada is a weird state. <laughs> what is your responsibilities, though? Some of it is your decision, but they give you, you know, some places give you a small budget and you create poetry programming. So it can be you're giving readings, you're teaching workshops, could be that you're traveling mm-hmm. all throughout your community and gathering people's stories for an anthology so that you can show that your community has a voice. So each person creates a different project of their own. So it's kind of like a residency in that way. So it's a poetry community, your community servant, and sometimes they expect you to write poems for special occasions. So kind of in the way that Amanda Gorman had to write a poem for the inauguration the president right 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 right. like i was was scheduled to be at the uh, governor sisalax inauguration but i my grandmother was sick and so i was Mm. not able to attend so i called Lindsay wilson who is the poet laureate of reno and i was like hey you already live there because they did everything (laughs) in carson city and i was like hey you're in carson city like you're in the vicinity can you take over and you know bring a poem to this inauguration because i cannot fly up to Oh, Carson City, because my grandmother is sick. And so luckily, you know, he thought about it and took some time and, and wrote a poem for the That's inauguration. Awesome. So, yeah, birthdays, uh-huh. you end up being like this weird entertainer in some ways. It's like, yeah, I do birthdays. I do weddings. <laughs> I do inaugurations. You know, did you give birth to a baby? I write poems for babies. <laughs> uh, Juneteenth, I, I did a Juneteenth poem recently. So you sometimes they ask you to write poems for special occasions. Is this a full-time job? Is it like, uh, how would you describe it? I mean, it's literally a service position. So okay, okay. You, you definitely don't get paid <laughs> full time okay, pay good. at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get, you get a stipend and yeah. you make it work. And some people, you know, do the bare minimum and some people push themselves to the very limits right. of, of their abilities. It's up to you right. and your commitment and how you manage your time. Yeah. But it's definitely, you know, some people do like two or three projects, like one project per quarter. Yeah. yeah so yeah. for the United States Poet Laureate, they have one year, but there's an option for a second year if the committee says, they, yeah, yeah, OK, yeah. we love you. You can come through for a second year. So Joy Harjo was asked right, to do right. a second year. Yeah, that's amazing that I was really curious. And I wanted to ask you because I think it was like. It's probably just as mysterious as when I say I'm going to an art residency, right? <laughs> right. What is that? What is that exactly? You're going to go camp. live? <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds, they're going to give me some money so I can make some cool stuff. What? What did you do for, I wrote a really good essay yeah. and sent them pictures <laughs> and then they, they picked me. So congratulations on your residency. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty yeah. Cool. So you, you know, when you moved to Las Vegas, you also had a collection of poetry. Do you have any upcoming uh, collections happening planned? What have you been working on lately? Oh, the question. I've been painting. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yes, the pandemic uh, smashed my life and my capacity to think clearly. And I needed a, a secondary or a different way to express myself slash mm. uh, get out of my head. So I yeah, took up yeah. fluid art, which is very 
has that unplanned feeling to it. And you can make a couple of plans, but for the most part, you know, you put paint in the cup, you flip the cup upside down, you pull the cup up and you pray. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and you make it do what it is. So I've been see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you learn techniques and you learn what the paint does after a while of uh, trial and error. So it becomes kind of like science experiments. So it's like, okay, if I mix this paint too thin and this paint too thick, and I combine them, it's going to make them interact in a weird way. Right, right, or if right. it's too much pain, it's too thick, it'll crack. So I learned a lot from that. And, and of course, there's metaphors in that. So I've painted since the end of May. Writing-wise, I've been teaching a bunch of different writing courses. So I've been writing with my students. So okay. I do know by the end of the year, I want to have both a chat book, which is it's like a baby book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's about 40 pages, give or take a miniature, I guess an EP. <laughs> I think of everything in terms yeah, yeah, of something yeah, yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a little a little thing of your work. And so that one will be more focused on fairy tales. I uh, have a lot of poems that reference fairy tales and Disney movies, right. but in a different way. And so I want to try to put that work together and make it be its own little chat book. And then full length wise, I think it'll be like kind of weird. It'll be weird poems to get you through is my, my current thought process about it. But I, like I have a poem for Juneteenth. It's going to be where all my hodgepodge poems go, where it's like poem for when your grandmother dies because my grandmother mm-hmm. passed uh, in 2019. Mm-hmm. So it'll be, you know, the poem for when your grandma dies. But then it'll also be the poem for when you're at your grandma's funeral and you keep telling people she wasn't a nice person. <laughs> I said it like three times at her funeral. <laughs> I didn't want to talk. They shouldn't have let me talk. But it, whatever. She was caring, but she wasn't like a sweet old lady. Like that yeah, wouldn't yeah. be accurate. You know, I want a poem for when you don't want to get out of bed, you know, a poem for your joy. So I just like they'll kind of be based on the calendar as well, lightly, like poem for the new year. Cause you can really write a poem about everything. Poem for when you made the perfect sandwich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You write an ode to that sandwich and like yep. cut it and none of the none of the pickles didn't fall out of it. Yeah, the perfect triangle. Yes, poem for the Pringles. Like, poem to let people know that Pringles are still a chip. Fuck your standards. <laughs> so I want that that as well, but that's a much longer book. So I don't know if it'll be done by the end of the year, but I definitely feel like the chat book is possible. And um, it's a time frame for me to really try to work towards taking my work seriously again and really trying to put it out there. Because I've just been writing and reading in public, but the trajectory of a, of a book and uh, yeah, yeah. when you're working towards being published, there's a trajectory you're really supposed to follow. And I have not. <laughs> like you're supposed to submit things and hope they get published. And the more prestige certain places, if they pick your one poem, if New York Times publishes your poem, it's higher likelihood that a publisher and an agent will say, oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. if this prestigious place, you know, published her work, then maybe we should look at her for a book and it's yeah, popularity yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, the game yeah. and the business of writing arts like that visual arts like that it's all about that right you know, who, do you, who do you know where you went to school which people you fucked and you know all that <laughs> fuck wisely that's that's the next t-shirt yeah <laughs> smash wisely so yeah i'm gonna try to i suppose it's play the game i care less about that but the larger your publisher yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the better your art distribution is. right 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 I hear you. Yeah. So I, I was curious, you know, a little bit maybe about your role as an educator. I know that's really important because you got uh, teaching credentials as part of your undergraduate degree. I mean, you're also constantly teaching. And so how has that been? Also, I assume the pandemic has completely changed everything about teaching. But Right. Very different. <laughs> well, what's interesting, I guess, 
sure we'll use the word interesting for lack of a better word. When I was finishing school, so I did my bachelor's and the bachelor's was preparation for teaching. So I took a bunch of classes for teaching and I was student teaching. And then I went into the credential program and I got to the very last semester of it because it's like three semester cohort. And in the last semester, I just kind of looked at our curriculum and was like, you are teaching us that these methods are not effective, but then our tests look just like these ineffective methods. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, why, do I, why are you handing me a multiple choice test when you, it's already been proven that that's not the best way for me to demonstrate that I understand right, the curriculum. Right. So I basically was like, mm, F it. <laughs> and like had a <laughs> throughout this whole credential program, but knew I was moving in California and Nevada don't have, it's like congruency basically. But basically oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They don't, they don't match up. Mm-hmm. Well, back then yeah. they didn't. I think now they do because Nevada needs teachers terribly. But back then they definitely did not. So I was like, there's no point of me even getting this California credential because right. it doesn't mean squat yeah. in Nevada. So I figured out ways to teach on my own terms because I have the education and I know how to build a curriculum. And poetry is the thing I spent a lot of time studying as well. So I kind of took right, everything right. I learned in my credential program and applied it to my knowledge of poetry and have just been kind of freelance teaching. So a school will ask me in for a residency and I'll teach there for four days and work with the students on their writing. And then I'll go to the next school and I'll go to the next school or I'll go through four different grades. So I'll be with the third graders and I'll be with the fifth graders that I'll be with the ninth graders. Uh, So over the first COVID summer, because we're we're counting them now. This is a a second COVID summer, right? This is COVID summer too. Yeah. So first COVID summer, I got to teach a class. They projected me onto the screen. So I was Wizard of Oz size. Yeah. Yeah. And I I had to do that too. I had to do that too. It's hard. Super weird. Yeah. Super weird. But, you know, you push through it and it's, again, it's about communication. So I was able to really, the students still participated and took my notes and really stepped up to the plate. And they had a lot of things to say because it's been, it's been rough and giving them an outlet to write was really helpful. So it's been enjoyable still. And I'm still finding ways to integrate into my life and doing work with community centers and um, intergenerational work as well. So right now I'm teaching an Ollie class, which is people who are 55 and plus. Um, And so that class is online and we're doing a storytelling unit. So that's what I've been doing lately. And uh, it's fun. It's um, some of it is an ode to my grandma and some of it is like just my desire to be around like my elders because it was what I was used to. It's how I grew up. So I'm just like, I need old people to make me feel full and complete. I just want to be near them. To make you feel alive. (laughs) Yeah. Not just alive, but like, they bring you a different presence, you know. Yes, 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 yes. And the perspective, you know, the perspective of when you have time under your belt, your perspective is different. Yeah, yeah. And um, they talk slower and I talk fast and it's really helpful to be like, I could slow down and still be understood. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's like, hey, we'll be here. (laughs) Life (laughs) is long and it is short, but it helps keep me grounded and I don't want to waste my youth. And so I feel like talk to people who've already used their youth up, kick it with them and, and learn from them and try to, like how you were saying, like you're making this podcast for, you know, what you wish you could give to your younger self. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just hanging out with people and letting them tell me what they wish they could tell their younger selves mm-hmm, uh, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. gaining that now. So it's a, it's a gift in both ways. And, and yeah, I'm really grateful. I think that, that, that would be a good place to end if yeah. I think a nice thought to end on. Um, do you want to quickly let the listeners know where they can find more about your work and, and read more and hopefully when that chapbook comes out, you know, 
can buy it and read it. Swoop it up. Yeah, that would be dope. My website is www.vogue316.com. What's the 316 for? My birthday. Ah, uh, okay, okay. And your birthday's March 16th. It crosses over with, with the Jesus. <laughs> it crosses <laughs> over with um, with John 316. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a Bible verse that, that, that always... It spends a lot of time in my head. I spend my, a lot of time, my time thinking about that verse. What is that verse? Uh, it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Um, oh, okay. It's the concept of love as sacrifice. Like mm-hmm. he loved us so much. He went ahead and let his son get marked mm-hmm. on your behalf. Yeah. And he's died for your sins, baby. Dead. And it's like, damn, it's a really big sacrifice. And, you know, if you've got like full omnipotent power, you could have like, I don't know. <laughs> just scold you could have scolded us <laughs> you could have given us like a different book and there's so many other ways but it's just interesting that that was the decision so you live in in christian land and that's your faith it's just the concept that yeah something that someone had to be murdered to absolve you of sins that you are born with so like you you are an imperfect being and the only way for you to be cleansed is, is through the murder of something else um yeah your deities like offspring that's like the history of christianity right yeah it's like it's a heavy heavy thing mm. but it's it's interesting and i think about romantic love and try to distort that look mm-hmm. of romantic love being like so squishy and roses and it's like no it's also sacrifice like mm-hmm. you stay with your partner if they have cancer and you know how their body will change and how we'll get good and wrinkly and like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the number of doctor's appointments you'll have to go to and you know just it can't all be simple and beautiful that we will change and our bodies will change and our minds and our memory will dissipate. And those are the elements of love. That's the sacrifice of love um, over time. Right. Right. Totally. Yes. And then at Vogue 316 for my Instagram. And if you would like to see my, my visual art, it's at pearls of gratitude. Mm -hmm. It's my grandma's middle name is Pearl. So Mm -hmm. instead of like pearls of wisdom, it's pearls of gratitude. You should, and everyone should totally check it out. Also on Vogue's website, there are clips of her uh, performing some of her poetry. Um, I was able to, I caught uh, Dentro Love and Grandmother. I thought Dentro Love was really sweet and similar, <laughs> similar in the vein of the Pringles poem, which I'm looking forward to hearing. <laughs> but yeah. I appreciate you um, checking it out. And I look forward to looking at more of your visual art as well. So the catching some of your videos and seeing what else is in your canon. My canon, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have a canon. I was like, mm-hmm. you can't laugh it off. This is like a real thing. You're creating historical works. So mm-hmm. you're stuck with it. I know. I know. All right, Vogue. Thanks so much. And again, thank you so much for all your time and being part of the podcast. And yeah, hopefully I'll be able to visit Vegas in some time in the near future. We'll see what happens. Stay safe because this new variant is, is I don't think, is, is no joke that's happening. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, you as well. And thanks for finding ways to still connect with the Vegas community and, and really adding to it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And have a wonderful evening. Take care. You too. Right. Bye. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Siwon Chung. Additional help with editing by Tokyo Hong and Mandy Tong. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, 
Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show and have the time, I'd appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now. Thank you.